Hey everyone, it's time for the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And it is good to be back with all of you this week. Hello, Rick. How's it going? Good. Uh, I heard you had a little good, vacation good. this week. Yeah, just a couple nice. uh, days down in Albuquerque, which was fun. That's good. Yeah, I like Albuquerque. You can get, you know, green and red salsa. It's always good. Oh, and there's, you know, as is true in many parts of New Mexico, the food is awesome. It is. We did some fun things like took the tram up yeah, top cool. of Sandia Peak. It was it was about a hundred degrees in Albuquerque. So going somewhere where it's like twenty to thirty degrees cooler is a very good thing to do. It, and <laughs> it's been nice. it's been cool here, that's for sure. It's been it's it's almost like we haven't gotten summer here in Colorado. This yeah, year. very different weather. Strange. It's been strange. Down Everywhere else has been hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I looked on our drought map and Colorado is a hundred percent drought free right now. We are the Pacific I, Northwest now. <laughs> yeah, the Pacific Northwest is actually in drought conditions right now. I feel bad for them. They're they're getting yeah. hammered. So it's it's all good. But lots uh, of nice wildflowers though. Oh yeah. I yeah. was thinking, dang, we should have done a crested butte flower workshop. They're talking about, you know, one of those mega blooms. Oh, I bet. I bet. Well, those are those are certainly fun. Yeah. Um so what's going on this week? We're gonna we got a little well, bit of an announcements to play catch up on. Couple yeah, but one quick thing that we'll just mention that in the same spirit of what I was just talking about, just a reminder, we have one slot, just one, left for Rocky Mountain National Park at the beginning of October. Oh, that's right. And, and it really should be a fun trip. I know we're both looking forward to it and the types of photography that we can do there. Yeah, so, nice, nice mix of landscapes and a little wildlife and, you know, traditional. Just a nice area outdoor nature photography it's kind of well suited yep. for that so if you like that kind of stuff and like learning a few things along the way <laughs> excuse me consider taking that last spot from us yep we'll have links to it all right so um before we get to our main topic this week which is going to be getting sharper shots something that everybody seems to want to want to do a couple of little other announcements the one that we forgot to mention a couple of weeks ago in the caught lost in the shuffle was that the nikon uh released a z9 firmware update to version 4 so that's important um if you have a z9 uh it adds um you know the typical um the typical improvements to autofocus etc cetera, etc cetera. but the the big thing it added which was interesting was um, uh, a fancy way of what they call auto capture, which allows you to use a combination of of features, including distance information, focus area, subject types, subject motion, including direction, uh, to set up automatic captures, and that could be extremely useful for people who are shooting remotely. Um, or if you were using the camera in, in a stationary setting where something like a focus trap might have been implemented in the past where you would have, you know, set the camera at a particular focus distance, uh, have it set to, to um, focus priority release. And so when the subject got in focus in the focus zone, the camera would take a picture. Well, this takes that to the 21st century level. 
Um, I was reading through it in the in the description there um, because I updated my ebook to include information on firmware version four for the Z9 as well as the Z8. Um, the Z9 finally got uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, exposure delay mode added back in. It was a feature I couldn't believe, and we'll talk about that it, it, as it relates to our sharp shot thing because it's a useful feature. Um, I don't know why they got rid of it. Um, surprisingly enough, the Z8 didn't get that feature in and in itself. Um, and then one other announcement that, that, not an announcement, but just sort of a PSA from us is, a, for me, is that um, if you have a Z8, they may be subject to a recall. Um, there is a service advisory on the Z8. Um, it affects a certain range of serial numbers. And it's a thing where the lens mount may or may not engage or disengage properly. And it's a free fix. You send your camera to Nikon and they will they will inspect it and make sure that everything is working. Um, the only way you would know this is if you're either paying attention to forums or maybe hearing it on this podcast. There's been no real mention of it in, in any official channels, but it's there. And if you go to Nikon's website for your region and you put in your serial number, there's a, a way to do it. It'll tell you if your camera is affected. And I know a few people who've had their camera um, repaired and they got it back within about a week. So mm -hmm. it does seem to be a quick turn and it's a free fix. It's obviously it's a little pretty simple. Annoying. Yeah. <clears throat> but but it's there. Um, and there's been no no mention of it. Um and I'll just say, as a Z8 owner myself, I did not receive any any notice of, of this. I actually heard about it from a client of mine, a friend of ours, who, who saw it on a forum. Um, and I just hadn't been paying attention. So if you've got a Z8, go to the Nikon website, punch in your serial number there and see if it's, um, you'd have to go under the service advisories link, I think, or something mm. like that. It's not obvious. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about... Uh, what we really came here to talk talk about today and that's getting sharp shots because it seems to be it's something we've talked about before but but there's some new tricks yeah there's a lot of of things and and so sharp shots kind of fall into into um sort of three general categories there's camera settings there's technique in the field and then there's sharpening techniques in post and they're all important and you know and and you know the best thing of course is to get the sharp shot in the camera whenever you can um and not try to fix it in post um but there are some things that that have come along that that do help in that regard so let's start thinking about some of the 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 things that you can do and and do you want to start with the where do you want to start with this one, Rick? Do you want to? Well, let's start with this simple stuff, which would be getting the, the shots sharp in camera. And I'll just throw out one that sounds very simple, but it's one that you and I both see uh, people doing incorrectly all the time. And it's just simply holding the camera right, the way it was True. intended. Right. And, and, you know, the whole point there is the, your left hand should be the one that's really supporting the camera mm -hmm. and the right hand should be just finessing some of the controls, maybe providing a little bit of balance. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously releasing the shutter, but it's really your left hand that's supporting the weight and you're doing it from under the camera, 
there you not go. over it under the camera you can also you know move your elbows in closer to your body mm -hmm. and and if you do that you'll actually be able to see through the viewfinder how it gets more stable so right. but that one it, it's just very simple yet i i'd swear at least half the time maybe more than that we see people holding cameras incorrectly yeah and one interesting and, and thing. some of it comes out of this weird idea that you should be able to just shoot your camera with only your right hand you, yeah. and you and if you have a big enough grip that works and boy that's just not it's not the best idea no use two hands left hand under the lens near the, mm -hmm. the and i like to have it close to the camera body so it's tucked in and that's yeah, one reason why the palm under the camera yeah it's one one reason why i kind of gripe about um lenses that have the zoom ring further out on the barrel yeah i i much prefer it to be close to the body um in in its uh where god intended it to be yeah something the like focusing that. ring out further well especially with an autofocus camera right yeah you know it's yeah. the the likelihood of bumping that anyway but but um what about some other things um one one thing that always comes up um we'll go into some techniques here in a second from some settings but you know, people often try to figure out if it's an autofocus, you know, like a focus problem versus a technique problem. Um, and, you know, one, one thing that I've seen is that most cameras, especially the mirrorless cameras, just don't have the focus accuracy issues that could happen more with DSLRs. And on a DSLR, especially with like telephoto lenses where, where depth of field is very shallow and critical sharpness is important, it's not a bad idea to just eliminate um, any question as to whether or not your camera is focusing properly by setting your camera up on a tripod, focus at a, at a, at a target, you know, 30 or 40 feet away, um, and then focus the camera using your live view as well and see if there's a significant difference between those the the two shots because the live view focusing which is what mirrorless cameras do tends to be spot on almost all the time so right. the that, that'll give you an idea of how sharp your lens is going to be you know focused wise and if you're not getting that level of sharpness it could be a focus calibration problem or it could be one of these other things so let's talk about some of the stuff that goes into, you know, sharper shots. So, so good focus is important, um, but usually it's not the problem. It usually comes down to things like camera shake or subject motion. And right. those can be rectified differently. Um, so let's talk about camera shake. What do you sure. do? I mean, that that's, that's when you, you know, simply just, you know, camera movement in any, in any way causes. So how do you fix that? That's a good, you know, well, two, you keep your ways. camera from moving. Right? Yes. Right. So you so could use a tripod. Is, <laughs> you could use a tripod. That's the classic way. It works great. It's got some other benefits too, because you're not having to hold the camera. It's, mm -hmm. you know, holding the camera. So that frees you up to, you know, use some slightly more awkward compositions where it would, be kind of hard to hold the camera steady 
you know, if you get at certain angles and, and things. Um, and, and it just plain works. Yeah. And then if you're on a tripod, you can take advantages of some other features that would help to reduce camera shake. So one, the, the classic method was to lock up the mirror. Um, this was on, you know, SLR cameras, lock the mirror up and use a remote cable release. And you can, and it does make a difference. It it does, especially at certain shutter speeds. Right. Now, if you're using a, a mirrorless camera, there's no mirror mirror to lock up, but the camera can still jiggle if you're pressing the shutter release with your finger. So a remote can help. Um, another thing, the other thing that can happen. Oh, go ahead. I was was going to say another thing that can happen with mirrorless cameras is you can see a little bit of what's called shutter shock and it depends on the camera. Um, it's less of an issue than it was a few years back, but it's just the idea that when that shutter is operating, you'll actually get a little bit of shock and it can reduce the um, the sharpness if you're hand holding something right and there's some ways around that with settings that are common in in more recent cameras one is the electronic front cur- curtain option. Cor- I, I, which was what i was where i was going was was electronic front curtain um that's a or setting. you can go fully electronic depending right. on the situation and both of those can help i think they can be equivalent more or less because you don't have that uh, shutter movement creating vibration if you have electronic front um, curtain shutter enabled there's a psychological component to it also where sometimes people will anticipate the sound of the shutter and then they'll move and so having it go completely silent with the electronic shutter can also help with the psychological component and you may end up hand holding it a little bit right. better than you would otherwise. Just give it, it a try. It's it's interesting because in the Nikon cameras that I've shot, it says electronic front curtain or electronic, you know, mm-hmm. um, on a camera like a Z9 or a Z8, it has no shutter at all. So right. you don't have to worry about that. On the OM1 that I was just looking, it has a setting called anti-shock, which is basically the same thing. It's electronic front curtain. Right. Yeah. But you can also operate the camera in full, um, what they call silent mode or whatever, and, and, and mm-hmm. have full, fully electronic shutter. So those are good. And then the other one, which I alluded to with that firmware, uh, is that some cameras will, you can either use the self timer. Some people will do that. Mm-hmm. So you can press the shutter and then have a one second timer or half a second. And on many Nikon cameras, they had this thing called exposure delay mode which was noticeably eliminated in the Z9. Don't ask me why. And now it's back. But that I use that all the time. You don't want to use that when you're hand-holding the camera because all of a sudden the shutter goes, the screen goes blind. And you're like, what the heck? It can be very happened? puzzling. And it's like, what did I? Oh, that's right. I had that turned on. So I used to put yeah. that one in the little, you know, in one of those quick menus, like the eye menu or wherever. You could just toggle it on or, on or off. But that's a, it's a nice feature. So you can just put in a slight delay. Um there's no mirror to lock up, so so you're good there. Um, One but, trivia thing, I don't know uh-huh. if you've run into it, but you can actually replicate that with Olympus cameras with the anti-shock settings. You can oh, have with a, the delay? Zero, you can have a zero-second delay or a longer one. Yeah. Okay. I don't really use it, but you can do right. it. Right. I saw that setting, and I was actually kind of... So now you answered my question as to yeah. what the point is yeah. with that setting. Um, That's it. Now, the other bit, 
comes down to shutter speed and stabilization. Oh, and and while we before we get off of it, the main benefit of those delays, like we were talking about, is you can press the shutter button, and then the camera has enough time to settle and stop yes. vibrating. That's what really helps you. Right. Right. And so you've got the shot from pressing the shutter. Release, but yeah, this is a way to do it without a cable release. So, so just recapping this, you've got vibrations that are introduced when you press the shutter button itself. Mm-hmm. And then you have potentially vibrations that are introduced by the shutter mechanism or the mm-hmm. mirror mechanism if you're on mm-hmm. a DSLR, SLR. So oh. using a combination of electronic front shutter or silent plus a slight delay so that there's no jiggle in your camera on a tripod works very well. At that point, then the question is, what other things are moving? Because um, what what about hand-holding? What about stabilizers? You know, VR, IS, IBIS, whatever you want to call it. These have gotten very good over the years. Yes. Especially systems that combine uh, the lens stabilizing and integrate it and synchronize it with the body stabilization system. And a useful thing to do, if you have a camera that has that, those features, is figure out what your personal limits are. Everyone will be a little bit different. Some people can handhold a little bit lower than others. Mm-hmm. In my case, I'm pretty average. I'm not exceptional or anything. Right. But Holding your understand. breath, exhaling, like sniper, yeah. tri- sniper training. Yeah. But, you know, figure out what your own personal limits are, you know, with the equipment that you have. Because your your success rate will go up if you know right. when you really need to cut over to a tripod or some other uh, right. method of assistance. What I generally find is that the stabilizers, which are all very good, you know, they're different. So, you know, and they're different in terms of how strong they, they can be. Um, they're going to work best with wider focal lengths, generally, because... You know, you're not focused. You know, everything is kind of pushed back. Uh, telephotos, you're never going to get quite as, uh, you know, you're going to have to use a faster shutter speed if it's zoomed way in. And also with close-ups, it's going to be very hard. So Because you're just going to be moving, your body is going to be moving, not just left and right or up and down, but also backwards and forwards. And it, it tends to create problems. So in those scenarios, even if you've got a stabilization system, the the key is that you want to try this out, see what shutter speeds you can use to get a sharp shot. Because at the end of the day, if your focus is correct and the camera is stabilized, the only other thing that could be moving, you know, causing motion would be subject motion or, um, uh, you know, or, or camera shake. And shutter speed can fix both of those problems for you. Right. I mean, and that's the traditional answer was to just shoot at a higher shutter speed. Yeah. And if you don't have IBIS or some other form of stabilization, I think both of us would recommend using a one over twice the focal length guideline for the shutter speed. So if right. you're shooting at a uh, focal length of 200 millimeters, use at least one four hundredth of a second. Yes, I would I would agree or with shru- that. Or shutter, or right. shorter. <laughs> or shorter, yeah, faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and no amount of image stabilizer is going to create a sharp subject if it's moving. 
So at the end of the day, if you're shooting moving subjects, you have to to use a fast enough shutter speed. And that's that's where I would always kind of talk with my clients on bird workshops. Is it out of focus or is it just moving really fast? And we started finding that, hey, a thousandth of a second isn't fast enough. It's amazing. It, it, you know, two thousandth of a second. Some subjects can be thirty-two hundredth of thirty. You know, thirty-two thousand or whatever, thirty-two hundred of a second. You know, those settings will eliminate not all, but you know, you'll still see blurry wingtips sometimes. Yeah. Um, just from subject motion. So, so know that you know, you know, cause it's very easy to blame the camera's focusing system for sharp shots. You really want to discern out if it's if it's that or not you know i would take a shot of the stationary subject and no that's sharp okay so it's not and and you can be surprised that that it was just subject motion a Um, few other hand holding tips mm -hmm. yeah one is to put the camera into continuous advance mode Uh and shoot a short sequence could be like three shots Um, the reason is usually the second shot and that sequence will be the sharpest. And it's, it's because that first one could be perturbed a little bit by some of the things that we've just talked about, you know, mm-hmm. pressing down the shutter right. release. But that second one will often be the magic one. I've seen that yep. just doing sequences have. and just see that. Plus it gives your stabilizers a chance to, to settle. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a, if you're using a camera with stabilization, um, it, depending on how it activates, it may only activate with your shutter button. Sometimes it react activates with the AF on button or both. Um, let that stabilizer settle in for a second before you shoot. Otherwise, that first shot's going to be a little off. And it could look a little bit weird too. Yeah, it could. Um, using your camera strap, that can sometimes help if you're shooting with your LCD. You know, pull the camera away from your body, hold the strap. But even easier too sometimes if you have the opportunity to just lean up against a door jam you know or or some object where you can kind of brace yourself from the right. that'll keep the front back um <laughs> true story when testing the ibis system with the om1 that i got i had the little you know whatever 12 to 45 lens so it was blue hour twilight focus a wide shot in my backyard nothing you know not a, not in a spectacular scene but i leaned up against the doorway and i was able to get a four second handheld exposure sharp mm-hmm. it was scary how <laughs> good right. now i can't do that just hand holding it i had to be leaning up against the door but but it was possible because i wasn't focusing on a close subject i was using a wide angle and it all came together um but i think knowing those Right. Okay. Now, sometimes your shots are just a little soft and you can do some pretty amazing things in post to get, to get some sharpness back. Right. Right. And, and before we jump full scale into that topic, um, one thing that you can do to get sharp shots is to use a sharp lens. Right. 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 <laughs> that helps. You know, one no, that is it is true across the frame and that, that can make a difference. So, right. However, sometimes it's convenient to use something that is more flexible that may not be that great. Like when I was down in Albuquerque, I, I took the Canon R5 with the 24 to 240 millimeter uh, lens 
you know, we're very wide root mm -hmm. um, zoom. It's pretty good once you get away from the wide settings, but it's pretty bad at 24 millimeters yeah. if you're not in the middle of the, the shot. So what can you do if that's what you want to use because of flexibility? Right. Well, and stopping down can sometimes help too. Yeah, but it won't with that one. But it's right. It can Not sometimes much. help, but but you also then pay that penalty in, in ISO or shutter speed or whatever. If you stop down, you're getting less light. So there are trade-offs right. there. Um, so, um, so the, the fact is that there are a lot of lens designs out there for the super wide zooms that just aren't that sharp at some of the, the wider settings. They're just not. And so you, but there are tricks that you can do to recover some of that sharpness. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things is using a product that we've talked about a fair number of times that we both like, which is DxO Pure Raw. Yeah, the uh, plugin for, or the, it's a standalone program, but we use it through mm -hmm. usually in Lightroom, but you can use it. Right. Just to, it'll reprocess your file with its own, uh, lens profiles and it does some sharpening and it does great noise reduction too. It and it does a little bit different kind of demosaicing too. The combination of all of those things for that uh, lens that I was mentioning really made the difference. The shots went from being kind of smeary looking toward the edges um, to just fine, not perfect by any means, but you know, just fine for what I was doing. But good enough. Super yeah. serious stuff. And I would also say, just, I mean, because I we both like that that software, um, mm -hmm. but you ought to learn how to use the sharpening tools in whatever your program is. Right. So many people don't understand, you know, you know the you know different what the sliders do in the settings, whether it's Lightroom or some other program. You know, it you you can get much better results oftentimes by fine tuning and rather than sticking with default settings. Um, you know, e even the settings that attempt to read what your camera's sharpening was set to can be hideous sometimes, you know, grossly they, they are hideous. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's good to be able to be familiar with the sharpening tools, but the ones on board will only get you so far. So like the DxO product does a pretty good job of recovering fine details and things like I, I like it a lot, especially with mm -hmm. the noise reduction it does. But then there's some where, where you need to go farther than that and it can actually recover things like motion blur, um, you know, or things just being a little bit soft because you know, for whatever reason, either because you were moving, the subject was moving or focus was a little off. And that's where a product like Topaz Photo AI comes in, um, because it has it now. It has three tools, including um, in, including um, resizing, you know, upscaling, noise reduction, and also sharpening. But where I find it, it really does a magic job is occasionally is with the sharpening algorithms. Yeah. Now the older plugin Topaz Sharpen. AI does a great job too, but if you don't own one of those right now, just get the photo AI because it has all of those things more or less blended in. And it's the one that's getting active development like yeah, every week. They put it, out a new release. It's updated <laughs> weekly. Oh, and I should mention, they did update it this past week to, to now finally support the high efficiency raw format from the Z8 and Z9 cameras. Mm -hmm. so 
that's a good thing. Now we generally use that program on not on our raw on the front end, but more on the as a on a tiff on the back end to do final sharpening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you're really into that kind of stuff, I find one of the best ways to use it is with layers in Photoshop because you'll have the advantage of being able to use the masking tools in, in Photoshop, which are a little bit more sophisticated in some cases than what the software sure. does on its own, but it works either way. But I have, I have been astonished occasionally by the results that have come out of, of images of birds where the eye was clearly not sharp or wildlife, and it just brings it back. It can be miraculous. It can also Truly. do some pretty scary stuff sometimes if you're not careful. So you got to... Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the advantage of the Topaz software is that it lets you preview the result before you see it or before it, before you hit go. The DxO plugin is just an automated thing. It just runs. Yeah. And what you get is what you get. But both of those are excellent. Um, anything else? Uh, just, just a... This is perhaps more in the psychological realm, but I've absolutely seen it in my own images and other people's images. So you, you take a shot using, um, you know, the very good meters that are in today's cameras. And, and oftentimes they, while they won't do an exposed to the right thing, they'll do a little bit of that in, in a sense. And what happens is your shot is exposed correctly to get the best kind of data but then when you look at it on the screen it's a bit bright and a lot of people just don't do anything about that Mm -hmm. they don't adjust the brightness level and when the brightness level is wrong a lot of the image will look out of focus you know the stuff that's either blown or getting close to blown highlights it just doesn't look good and simply bringing the exposure down to what it really should be does some amazing things in, in terms of uh, perceived sharpness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that too. It's It, it happens. It frequently, frequently. So, so, you know, again, photography, if you're interested in more than snapshots, it's a multi-step process. It includes yeah. camera settings. So things like, shutter speeds and how you set your camera up and and you know features for stabilization plus your technique whether it's handheld or on a tripod or whatever plus your post-processing and those three things together you know if you if you're sloppy in any one of those areas uh, it could be the difference between something that's you know printable at 20 you know you know 30 by (laughs) by 24 by 36 versus something that's okay only at postcard size yeah and And just continuing the with the simple processing things, make sure you have enough contrast mm-hmm. in the all, image. All the goal is matters. not necessarily to have the whole tonal range preserved. You can clip some shadows and it might make the image look sharper and better. True. So go ahead and do that. One last thing is sometimes a little bit of dehaze. If you have a software product that includes that feature and most do at this point, a little bit of that can restore sharpness. If your lens isn't that great or just the atmospheric conditions weren't all that wonderful. Um, right. And we're talking small amounts, like 10. Small, 5, 10, things like that. Yeah. Not not over the top. No, stuff. no, no, no. Like it's ugly in a hurry. Right. Um, so it's all, it's all there. But hopefully 
that's been helpful. And, and, you know, so if you are struggling with sharp, getting sharp shots, you know, go back and revisit your settings a lot of times and go look at your EXIF data, go look at the data on the, on the shot and go, well, what was my shutter speed? Oh, I didn't realize I was shooting at a 10th of a second hand, you know, cause you were in something like aperture priority um, and stay away from the, the absolutes. You know, I mean, even with landscapes, if there's stuff blowing around or moving around or, and your camera might be moving, I know the, the, that the, the, um, suggested setting is to use your base ISO, but if the camera's moving around cause it's windy, <laughs> you know, sometimes you need to bump it up a little bit, you know, get the settings that will get you the sharp shot in the camera. Yeah. Don't use ones that are theoretically good, but result in just an unsharp mess oh if i had a nickel for every time a client would come up and say but i heard that you're never supposed to use insert some setting there you know well if you're going by dogma then then that's not doing photography the right way yeah you got to be able to adapt all right well that's all the time we have for this week we encourage everyone who's listening if you like the show please consider becoming a sponsor of the show over at, um, at our website imagedoctorsphoto.com you can join our patreon get access to our our blog our articles and our bonus episodes and we're going to have some interesting content next week for you because we're going to go on a little road trip so we'll yep. be sharing some of those photos with our Patreons, um, our patrons, I should say. Um, so again, thank you so much for those people who've already signed up. We do appreciate it. It helps us keep this show on the air. It helps, it helps cover things like our bandwidth costs and stuff like that. So check it out, imagedoctorsphoto.com. And until next week, happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>